Hello and welcome to Occupied Thoughts, a podcast brought to you by the Foundation for Middle East Peace. I'm Sarah Ann Minkin, Director of Programs and Partnerships for the Foundation. Today is July 3rd, 2022, and I am truly delighted to be here with Ali Awad. Ali is a writer and activist from the village of Tuba in Masafariyata, which is in the South Hebron Hills in the West Bank. He is co-founder of the new media project, Humans of Masafariyata, which is on Instagram and Substack, and which I strongly recommend following. He's also an activist with, with the campaign Save Masafariyata, among other organizations. Ali is going to talk to us today about what's going on right now in Masafariyata, and particularly in Firing Zone 918. FMEP has been following the developments in Masafariyata and the Firing Zone for a while. We've hosted Ali before, and we're so grateful that he made time for us again. The last time we published a public conversation with Ali was in March, a few weeks before the Israeli Supreme Court rendered their final decision on Firing Zone 918. For background, for those who are just tuning into this story, Firing Zone 918 is an area in Masafariyata that the Israeli military designated to itself in the 1980s for its own training. It's about 30,000 dunams of land and home to more than 1,000 people who live in small herding villages. After 20 years of legal struggle, the Israeli Supreme Court in May authorized the Israeli military to expel the Palestinian residents of the firing zone and to demolish their homes and their communities. Actions that the UN, that UN and other human rights experts have labeled as war crimes. And that Ali himself, as well as many other Palestinians and other activists have called ethnic cleansing. These expulsions and demolitions have already begun. And the IDF most recently has also begun a new round of training in the firing zone. So the military presence there is very high. You can read more on our website, the FMEP website, and also on 972, among other, out, among other outlets. Ali's newest article on 972 is called, They're Not Arriving with Trucks to Deport Us, But the Goal is the Same. Ali, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you, Sarah Ann, for hosting me and organizing this important conversation. I'm so grateful you made the time. So I, I want I want to start your in your newest article. You said that in the weeks since the court decision in May, so for the last eight weeks, this is what you wrote: People's lives here have become much harder. The army is hoping that by persecuting us enough, they will make it impossible for us to remain. So will you please tell us what's been happening since May? Yeah. So actually, like uh, what I mean that they are not coming with to deport us with the trucks, but the goal is the same. In my latest article, it is like uh, comparing it with what with what happened to the same villages to me myself when I was one year old in 1999. In that year, the military trucks they have looted our properties and destroyed our homes in the villages of Masafariyata and pushed us out entirely from the Masafariyata area. But what is happening and what's like making me more scary is that like we lost you for one moment, Ali. I know that the internet is uh, very spotty in in Masafariyata, but you're back and you were just in the midst of talking to us about how scary this moment is in particular and how it's different from 
your experience, you were one years old in 1999 when your family was, was first expelled, but from your understanding of what happened in 1999 with the expulsions and now. So please continue. Tell us about now. Yeah, so actually after like May 4th, when the Israeli High Court gave the, the Israeli army the green light to do whatever they want in the villages of Masafir Yatta, like they, they actually told them like, this is like the area it's ruled for you, for your, for your fire ammunition and the fire training. You can evacu evacuate the thousands of residents of those villages, or you actually can train when they are there. So the military is actually like making the goal of evacuating the residents different than 1999 by, by not making any attention that they are really evacuating the residents. So first of all, they started with what I called like the policies of a slow eviction of the residents. When uh, immediately after the high court, they started to cut off the residents from anybody coming to the villages. So they sit like, first of all, the flying checkpoint at the entrance of the villages, and they prevent like the doctors, the teachers, and the journalists, and the solidarity groups that they come to work in these villages, they prevent them from entering to the villages. Then they start like to take, to, to get inside the doors and... I'm gonna interrupt you, sorry, for one second. You're describing flying checkpoints. So just in case anyone who's listening doesn't know what that is, it's not a permanent checkpoint. It's a temporary checkpoint. That's why it's called flying, which they can put up wherever they want, whenever they want. Okay, so the flying checkpoints and they're preventing people who don't live in the villages from coming in. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. And in order like to make the, the, the residents, like the thousands of the residents that they are in these villages, cut off from any other people, they start to photograph like their IDs, invade their homes and take the IDs of everyone. So that means that anybody, even like Palestinians who doesn't live in those villages will be under arrest if he be, go inside these villages. So that will... We lost Ali again for a moment, but he's describing to us that they... Oh, we lost you. We lost you for a second. Ali, you're coming in and out. You were just talking about the census, that they're taking photographs of everybody's IDs. And so they know who's in what house, how many people live there. Right. And so they know who they yeah. think belongs in that place and who doesn't belong in that place. The census. Yeah, exactly. So that like uh, they, they photographed like the IDs, the identifications of the residents in order to prevent any other people from coming or visiting the village, the, those residents. So that means like if I live here, for example, in Tuba, and my brother live in another place in, uh, in the West Bank, and he come to visit me here, and his ID was not photographed, that means he is like under arrest of visiting me. So that means one day that I will be cut off from my other family out of Masafir Yatta, and at the end of the day, I would be evacuated by myself. The other thing that they like they did, even like for example, if I am from Tuba, I was detained in the village of El Merkiz. I am uh, I am as an activist who moved to document like the lives of the other people. I was detained. Uh, I was detained in the village of El Merkiz, which is a few kilometers located in the same area as my village. I was visiting my friend over there 
when I was when I was leaving the the soldiers at the flying checkpoint, the temporary ones, they took my ID and they told me you are not allowed to be here entirely. It's an area that the high court green light to the army to have it. So uh, the other thing that they they do, which is uh, the confiscations of the vehicles. That's clearly like that they want like to restrict like the movements of the people. Uh, in my article, I mentioned uh, a residence of the village of Taban, who the army invaded his village and they confiscated his, uh, he, he, like they arrested him and they confiscated his vehicle. After the investigation, he was uh, promised like to take his uh, vehicle back home but he, he went back home and for more than 20 days, he was dealing to get his uh, vehicle back after being a high fine of uh, 2,200 uh, shekels. He told me that they entered in my house and they detained me from my own home in the village of Taban, one of the villages in Masafar Yatta. So the army, the commander know himself that uh, I live here and I am a resident, but it is just a policy to make my life harder and to make me not able to drive back to my village by confiscating uh, my vehicle. Uh, himself, like the other things that the, the military is doing in the villages that uh, the, like even like in the last years, the demolition used like to happen and is still happening in the in the in the in those villages, but like the number of the demolition and the crimes that they uh, are doing and committing against the people shelters, it's unbelievable. Like uh, in, for example, two families, like my friends uh, from the village of Al Fakhir and the village of Al Mirkis, those like two another two villages located in Masafar Yatta, they have like faced three times of demolition after May entirely for their for, the, for their entire shelters and the shelter of their live stocks. So for example, one family in Al-Fakhid, he's a parent, like he's, he's a father who has like little children. He has, I think, five, five daughters. They are in the ages between two years and 10 years. They were like the bulldozers shot two times after May 4th to their villages and like lift them without any, any shelter. And the distribution of the demolition orders against the villages, for example, there is the village of Taban, another village that is called Sfai, the military. We lost you again. So you were telling us about your friends and about having their homes demolished twice fully demolished all of the structures for the family and also for their animals since May 4th. Yeah, so I'm talking like uh, after like the May 4th and the court hearing the like the military like demolition against like the structures and the homes of the people that they don't hesitate like to show up to the to one of those villages and destroy like the entire homes and shelters for the children and for the families there. As I mentioned, like my friend from the village of, uh, of Al-Fakhid, who uh, has like daughters and little children when they are like two and three and like five years old, the army bulldozers show up at their village and entirely destroyed everything that they have. Like they leave, they leave like their village without, without, without leaving any shelter for them to sleep. 
So that is, is actually a displacing and evacuating them. Not, not necessarily to put them in a military truck and take them away from their village, but leaving them without any shelter. That exactly means that telling them you, uh, th that you have to leave from here. The other thing, which is actually like soon, I, we are afraid that they will start like to not again, putting the people on military trucks, but destroy the whole entire village because they distributed in different villages, like the village of Taban, as the village of the guy Nasr Abed, who they confiscated his car that I mentioned earlier in the conversation. They have showed up to his village and distributed like dozens of demolition orders against every structures, even the water wells, the holes that the, the his family and his neighbors they have dig and built since the year 2000. They are more than 20 years old. Now they, after the May 4th, they got a demolition order. And the most like scary say, say that one more time. You just started and we lost you again, but say, please say it again. The, the most scary. Yeah. Yeah, the other policy that we have witnessed since May so far until today, which is the, uh, the week before of the last week, which is like the most scary and that would cost the lives and the bloody things against the humans that are living in those villages, is that the army like start to announce their schedules of uh, training for the live ammunition and uh, with their tanks and helicopters in the field that they see called firing zone 918, which means the villages that thousands of people living there, tens thousands of animals that they are grazing in those fields. Like now for me walking among the, the fields that I see my neighbors and my family are grazing inside the fields where I grow up, I see them fall of uh, training targets, like targets that they are that they are shooting with their firearms at the, at it, so the sheep like they cannot like graze inside there, and also the, the they are training next to the people homes. Like if you like the week before of the last week, which marked the first week of an of a schedule of entire month for the army to train we saw like we witnessed and we stand with the, our neighbors in the village of El Merkiz while the tanks are driving among the village. Like two tanks are driving among the village and go shoot, shoot next to the villages. The helicopters land and they fly over the schools of the children. And today the, there is like the other village that is called El Majaz. There is like a path that is next to the people homes lead to the school of the children. They have put these targets and they were like filmed with the video while they were shooting at them at the entrance of the school, right like 20 meters next to the people homes. So this is like actually like the whole policies that we have mentioned so far, which we are living through since May 4th. And it is, uh, the army, I mean like the army is, acting as the yeah they have the power they can use the legal uh, issues against us mm -hmm. and uh, they can uh, like uh, prevent us and confiscate our vehicles and acting as if we are not there like what what left after you distribute in the field where i graze, I graze my sheep 
your targets and you are shooting at them, you consider me as I don't exist. Yani you will put your targets on my home and you don't care. So you will shoot at my home as if I don't exist. So this is like a most scary thing because when I mentioned today in the, when I was detained in the village of Al-Mirkiz, I was visiting my friend who lost his right hand. Why he lost his right hand? Because next to the, his home in the village of Al-Mirkiz, less than 100 meter, there are the, the firing play, like grounds that the army shoot at them. And sometimes the military uh, fall off from them or maybe deliberately they leave some leftovers. So while he was running after his flock, he stepped on one uh, leftover grenade that was not exploded. And while he was running, he stepped on it and it exploded in his body, breaking his right leg and the shrapnels enter to his heart and the stomach like right next to his heart and he lost his right hand. So this is like what the people like, either they will let the people be killed by their leftovers or by cutting them from any people uh, that will come to visit them and to prevent any other people from reaching to them. From reaching to the building. This is like an... Okay, you're back. You were just telling us about your friend, Muhammad. Um, Maybe you want yeah. to. Yeah, so I said, like, the, my friend Muhammad, like, in the day that I was detained in, in Al Mirkiz, it was because I was visiting him and uh, he, he was like, he lost his right hand. Now he lived like without his right hand because of the military leftover that, that train right next to his home. So, Muhammad, like, while he was running and grazing in his field, running behind his flock, uh, he did not realize that while he was running, he stepped on a leftover grenade that was not in, uh, exploded. And when he stepped on it, it was exploded and uh, he lost his, his right hand. So this is like all policies that I have just mentioned. It is like as if the, the military like uh, acting as if we were not exist. Right. So that they feel like they, as if they are saying, uh, we have the power over your villages from our high court, from their high court, and we will uh, practice our free, freely training. Either you are, or either you are there, or there, either you live. But unfortunately, what, why, why it's scary? What I mentioned, it is the life here became impossible. Like either by cutting the people from their relatives and from the visit or by people like are scared for their children. And if there's leftovers and the, the army like soldiers next to your home in front of their schools are shooting, this is something scary. Like, so the, the parents are so very worried for their uh, children. So what I mean, uh, the, the army is saying that either you stay or you leave, but with these policies, they will impact, like they will impose the evacuation against the people here without any attention as they have did in the 1999 because they have made the life very scary and very terrorizing and very and impossible so how, given all of this how are you able to continue your work as a journalist and an activist how how can you get to the villages and spend time with people with like wait, yeah, sorry, I mean, even I, i'm going to interrupt you sorry for one second just to clarify your village of tuba is in masafriyata but it is just 
outside of the firing zone? It is inside the firing zone, but in the area that is uh, the army stopped claiming to use for live ammunition. Oh, Why? Sorry. Because because there is an illegal outpost built over my village. So if the army will uh, claim that my village will need it for the live ammunition, they have to do as well for the for the illegal outpost of Khavat Ma'on, which is an Israeli illegal outpost built on my village. So in order to keep the outpost uh, stay there, they stop claiming that they need this area for the live ammunition, but... Okay, we are, we are back and Ali was just telling us about Tuba uh, not being a part of where the military is training with live fire, but yes, being in the firing zone. So tell us about how are you able to move around now and to do the work that you want to do? Actually, it's like in a very hard situation. Like now we are, uh, I mean, it's not as before. Uh, in the, among like the villages where the army train, the army also, as I said, like uh, sit like flying a checkpoint at the entrances of the villages, but also among the villages they have set up uh, a tents of groups of uh, soldiers that they will stay and make shifts all the times over there. So every time that uh, we have to go there, we have to stop at the checkpoint the, among the villages and the army always threat us that you are not allowed to be here. Either I tell them like I'm from the village of Tuba, I'm from Masafir Yatta, I am just like uh, two kilometers or a few kilometers away from here and I live here where I'm supposed to go. Uh, they, they always like detain us, but what we have to do, yani, sometimes like we walk and avoid like the military presence until we get in the villages in order to document uh, the, the harassment against the other people. But at the end of the day, whenever we caught, like it depends on the mood of the soldiers uh, to detain us or to release us. But uh, they actually, even like as a journalist from a safariata or journalists outside like europeans or americans they were detained inside the villages uh, and always always it depends on the mood of the soldiers to release them or to to detain them but if whatever like they as an activist uh, yani, I believe that uh, there are like the stories and uh, people who are living there and uh, the army want like it's their the, the arm the goal of the army to keep these people isolated and nobody listen to their stories and nobody give attention on their stories but whatever the difficulties that I will face as activist and writer and uh, to, in order to document these harassment and war crimes that the Israeli army is doing I will uh, bear the difficulties in order to do it. If they detain me, if they arrest me, I will keep doing it. If I have to walk climbing the hills pass, uh, to avoid the, the tents, I will try as my as much as I can in order to reach to the, to the people over there. Wow, Ali. Can you, I have, I have a couple more questions for you if you have the time. Thank you for, for taking your time for us. And, and my, my first question is, you're, you're so committed to spending, spending time and telling the stories. What is the mood of, of, of the people, of the firing zone, specifically, and of Masafar Yata more broadly? Actually, the people are devastated. Like I have described what they are going through in their daily lives. It's their first place and the life that they have to live in 24 hours. 
like as we said like the solidarity groups that they come from outside they might face the same but for for few hours and they have they leave again but what if you have to walk up and to when you eat when you go to graze your sheep when you walk among your villages you would be harassed by the military the people have like really the most of the people have like they are devastated and fed up from the military harassment and aggression in daily basis but the people said like where, where i have to go I have no other place to go. This is my home. I was born here, and uh, my grandfather have owned this village and this land. I have no other place to go. Even as I keep saying and reminding the people, the eviction of Masafir Yatta is not just also a sense of homelessness. The people here have a unique life of making living. The people here are all shepherds and farmers who need to stay next to their fields, which the army making it a firing fields, they needed to cultivate it in order to feed them and their livestock. So if they have, if they have to go from their homes and their home villages in Masafir Yatta, it doesn't just mean that they have to be homes, but they have no other source to in, in, income. They are not doctors or teachers or engineers to maintain the life in the city. They have they just able to make income inside their villages. So they have no other choice. Like if people devastated and fed up, but they have no other choice. People are like, every time that I go to write a story as a journalist, people like appreciate that I am making an interview to them because they feel like we need someone to talk with. We need someone to listen to our story. We need someone to, to hear our stories. We are passing through a lot. Like we are living here and kind of just breathing, but all our life elements is like the, the military is fighting against and depriving us from and uh, making the life, making our life impossible. But we have no other choice. We have, this is our home and this is our village and this is the way we're, where we can make food for our children and shelter. Thank you for sharing all of that. So my, my last question for you then is, is uh, you're, you're committed to telling these stories. You're committed to going and listening and creating a, a platform for telling these stories. And you're doing it as a journalist on 972 and sometimes in Haaretz and um, some other outlets. But And you have also just uh, launched a project together with three partners called Humans of Masafar Yata. Um, will you tell us about Humans of Masafar Yata? Why, why did you found it and, and what are you doing with it? What do you want it to be? Uh, the founders of Masafir Yatta, me and uh, other three journalists and activists from Masafir Yatta, from the villages, we have, like we are our in our early 20s. So since we were born, like our villages were uh, classified as Area C under the Israeli military control. And also uh, my village was also as well since I was born, uh, designated as a firing zone. So since I was born, I was, me and other, the other guys in the Humans of Masafir Yatta project, we have been witnessing the demolition against ourselves and against our children and uh, our neighbors. And every time like we see it as a post in Facebook, for example, since Facebook existed, or as what uh, we said, no, that, that home demolition is not just a breaking news. It is not just a post in Facebook or Instagram. The Israeli occupation forces have demolished two houses in a safari. It's demolishing a feeling and the story of a, of a child, of an old woman, 
of uh, a, a father, a mother who, who has a feeling, what does it mean to lost his home? So we had the idea to, uh, which is like humans of man. So we're, we're back after internet trouble for another moment. And Ali, you were just saying to us that, that a home demolition is not, is not just breaking news and it's not just a one-time event, but it's really the, the feeling of, of, a, of a child or of an elderly woman or of, it, it is about these communities, about these people and about their lives. And so you and Hamdan and Basil and, and Alda uh, created this new project, Humans of Masafariyata, and you were telling us what you want to do with it. Will you please, please continue? Yeah, so, uh, yeah, the, like the home demolition that is for like the only shelter, as I said, for, for a mother, for a father, for a child, losing it and demolishing it is not just like uh, a breaking news that, as I said before, to see it in a post, is like occupation forces demolishing two homes in Masafar Yatba. We realized that in this project we have to bring the the feeling and the impact of the home demolition on the residents and the humans that are living in those villages so and uh, we started to interview people about uh, like we interviewed the children old women and the mothers uh, who lost their homes and we are continuing to document like as the home demolition in masafar yatta not to mention a home was demolished, but to to mention a human's story that who lost his who lost his home and what does it impacted and how impact how it impacted his entire or her entire entire life. So uh, we are focusing in uh, now in uh, in our current work on the villages of Masafar Yalpa that are located in the firing zone, and uh, yeah, hopefully like. Uh, for all the people who are going to listen to this to follow us and to hear the stories and what does it mean and everyone can imagine it uh, to be in the place of these people like your bedroom or your bathroom or your living room or even like as a child who was born and lived 10 years in a house what does it mean to after living 10 years and having all your childhood memories in your bedroom to be to see it the bulldozers destroying it and driving over it and when you try to come and to protect your home you cannot because there are armed forces that would be surrounded the the bulldozer that will prevent you from even standing non-violently in front of the bulldozer and you will see as a child your father being beaten up or getting like a, an arm fracture or a leg fracture because he tried to, to keep a shelter for you. So uh, this is like our idea and to bring these feelings like hum the psychology of the people, the feeling and the emotions of the people and not just that, but also the impact of the daily on the daily lives of the of the humans uh, living in Masafar Yatta who already lost his their homes or whose their homes are under threat of demolition at any moment. Thank you so much, Ali, for sharing all of that with us. And and um, and thank you for for the 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 vision and the effort of sharing these stories and these experiences and uh, the faith you have in your audience that they want to hear these stories and they want to hear what people are going through and, and what this experience is like. And um, it, it's such a beautiful project and I'm grateful to be able to, to amplify it here on, on, 
on, on this podcast and also grateful that FMEP is able to support it a little bit um, through with some funding. And I just wish you more and more and more opportunities to share all of these observations and analysis and experience uh, and feelings that you share so well and, and so clearly. Um, and so thank you so, so, so much for, for uh, spending your time with us tonight. I know it's, it's quite late for you. Um, so I'm going to, we'll, we will end here, uh, unless you have any last words you want to say to this international audience. I, I invite you to say them now if you do. Yeah, I hope that uh, what I have described was like enough to imagine what's the situation for the residents of Masafariyatta. And uh, believe me, like what I am as a resident uh, passing through, it's totally, uh, it's like exactly the policies, a means of how to deprive a human from living. Not just a human, even the animal. Any living being in Masafar Yatta is affected because there are military coming over, civilians, people, and living beings that are making life in those villages. I hope like, as an activist, I also like uh, have maybe seen extra things because I have to move to document and see other people's lives. What is people are like, I have maybe interviewed and sit and talked with the thousands of people who are living there, uh, here and everyone have passed through so much and through a lot of uh, either like losing actually like a family member or a home or uh, not being able to like practice their lives in these villages. I, I, I ask on everyone to support, uh, to support the people here and to help like uh, putting pressure on Israel in order to stop these ethnic cleansing policies and evacuation policies against the Palestinians from their homes. Because the military excuse is just an, an, uh, a way that Israel is doing in the occupied West Bank in order to evacuate the Palestinians from, from these areas. 18% of the West Bank was declared as a military zone and in everywhere they are evacuating the Palestinian villages who existed right before the occupation of the 67. And when, wherever there is a settlement built inside the firing zone, the army stopped the, stopped the claim of using alive ammunition. So it's clearly an excuse to ethnically cleanize the Palestinians from these villages and replace them with Israeli settlers, as what is happening in Masafar Yadda. So I ask, I call in everyone that there are humans here who are really suffering and facing a lot. And, uh, Anyone would be proud and glad if he would share to prevent a war crime and uh, a disaster uh, against the human. So everyone from his spot can share and can uh, in order to stop those war crimes. And you can follow us in our pages like Humans of Masafar Yatta, Youth of Sumud, uh, my own page Ali Awad, and other other people who are documenting lives from from those uh, areas. And also, more, most importantly, on the hashtag of Save Masafar Yatta. And thank you, everyone. Thank you, Ali. Thank you so much. Thank you for all of that. Uh, and thank you for the, for the push at the end for people to share. And I will put links up to everything that we've talked about and, and, and what you just said, humans of Masafar Yatta, youth of Sumud, hashtag Save Masafar Yatta. 
uh, and also your your page so people can can follow you. Um, we did actually do an interview with Samiha Hareini about two weeks ago uh, from Youth of Samud, and and um, and and I will put another link so that everybody can can keep listening and um, and keep tuning in to Occupied Thoughts for more content like this. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode. Please come to our website, www.fmep.org for all the links that I just talked about and more resources uh, relating to Masafriyata and the firing zone and, um, and to Ali's great work with his partners. And um, please make sure that you are subscribed to this podcast to stay up to date. You can find us on iTunes, on SoundCloud or on Spotify. You can watch video versions of our podcasts, including this one on YouTube. And I want to say thank you again, Ali, for, for sharing your time with us today. And with that, I am Sarah Ann Minkin signing off until the next episode of FMEP's Occupied Thoughts. <laughs>